I'm over here now. I was over there. Now I'm over here. Sure. I'll bring all my shoes and my, my glasses with me. So I have them. <laughs> Yeah, I'm with the OGs on the block to see the terror Eating pasta, primavera, feeding caca, be together People never know the wild shit we might say Grew up on Eddie Murphy, Jerky Boys, and Dice Play. I've been waking up nights, screaming Brooklyn Blast podcast Mama took my porn mags, jerkins, and a soft rags Easy when we talk about Mr. Ferrari Cause we go way back when we used to play Atari Sparked weed, taking shots like the Fratelli's RV Doing donuts in the parking lot at Arby's Car keys, now you can't leave, lock the door Please, Jimmy's on a mission. Time to start the intervention. Let's go. Episode 198 of the Brooklyn Blast Furnace podcast with my guest, singer and drummer for Nocturnus slash Nocturnus AD currently, uh, after death, and I guess original drummer for Morbid Angel, right? Yep, original? yep. First guy. Yep. No, no, original. <laughs> original. Awesome. How you doing, my man? Doing good, man. How you doing, Jimmy? I'm good, man. I'm just I just got off of work a little while ago, just hanging out, same old stuff, and uh, I'm doing good, man. I have I have absolutely no complaints in the world, none. Everyone's healthy. I haven't stopped working. It's a cra- it's a crazy time, like everyone says, but we all know that. But I'm grateful for what I have, and I have no complaints, man. Yeah, I, I haven't stopped working either, so that's a that's good, good thing. For me. You know, I mean, my job that I have. I've had for 28 years and, and I'm still there. So <laughs> that's a beautiful thing, man. I recently switched jobs. Like I had a really good job and then I wound up getting a better job, like a, about a little over a year ago, but it was kind of like a blessing in disguise because now I'm considered like an essential worker. So if I was at my other job, there's a really good chance I would have got laid off or something like that. So sometimes things happen for a reason. I don't know. These days you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. For, that's right, man. From 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 day to day, you have no idea. It's so crazy. Yeah. So where are you? Are you are you still are you down in Florida? Yep, I'm still in Tampa, Florida. I was born here, and I I like the heat. It's a little cold for for us Tampa Tampa people right now because oh, it's been, don't even start that. What what, what <laughs> how what is it out there? How many degrees is it right now? Uh, probably about 50 right now, but last night was 45. It was a little cool for us. That's a little cool for you. Listen, it snowed here today. Okay. Yeah. So it didn't stick, but it's, well, but you know, it's, it's well, we're on podcast time right now. This isn't going to drop for a couple of weeks, but I mean, it's, it's fucking the middle of December right now. I mean, like, what do you expect? Of course it's going to be cold and it's going to snow, but yeah, I, 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 I love I love the heat. So. <laughs> I, I listen. I'm born and raised in the in Northeast. Born and raised in New York and Brooklyn. And I, you would think that I would be used to this shit. I fucking hate the cold, dude. I I hate the cold. I always hated the cold. Yeah, it's it's more to me. It's a it's it's it, it's more uncomfortable than than being hot. Yeah, same here. Same here, man. So, well, that's a good thing. You haven't stopped working and you keep busy. And seems like you're doing good, dude. And I mean, the 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 latest Nocturnus AD record is fucking incredible. And it was really cool. If anyone doesn't know, whoever's watching or listening, smarten up kids because it's called Paradox. And when was it? 2019. You guys put it out last year, yeah. May of 2019. And it's awesome. It's such a like when I first heard it, I'm like. 
This is like it's it's a modern but same kind of exact feel as the key. That's how I interpreted it. I'm like, this is a great thing. I don't know. I just thought it was awesome. Well, the good thing about that is that's exactly what we were going for. You know, trying to uh, Look at make that. A- I didn't even know that. Yeah, it was just it was like you know most of the song content uh, as far as lyrics they continue with the key story. Yes. And uh, really, the key story was only four songs on on um, uh, on on the key. So right. it was like the last four songs were the actual key story. But what I did was not just continue with those four songs with four more songs on Paradox, but also I went back and like Lake of Fire and Standing in Blood. Those two songs make a little story in themselves. Sure. So I I continued those two songs with with uh, Seizing the Throne. Yes, incredible. Standing in blood and seizing the throne. Yeah, you know, so that makes a story. Yeah, and and um, we had uh, Neolithic, of course, on the key. Yeah, and so we did Paleolithic on on um, you know, uh, yeah, on So it's kind of like I, I continued a lot of the song stories as well. Mm-hmm. Um, not just the key story, but some of the other smaller uh, stuff that was on the key is was continued on Paradox as well, and it will continue on the next album. Awesome. I, what I, yeah, what I want to do is every album, however many more there will be. <laughs> Listen, um, man, keep on going. Shit, oh, yeah. do what you enjoy, dude. It's awesome. And it's but so I'll, different. That's what's so cool. There's nobody that like does things like Nocturnus AD does. It's yeah, completely different. So I, what I want to do is keep doing the four songs for the key story every album. That way I don't have to write a whole concept record, the whole record one story. Right. Um, so we just do like four songs, which is, you know, that's like a third of, or, you know, maybe a little bit more of, the, of a record. Yeah. So there's a good portion of it that is the key story. Sure. Um, you know, probably like, you know, 20, 20 to 25 minutes will always be the key story. That's awesome. And then um, I'm probably going to do another song that's going to continue with uh, Neolithic, Paleolithic, and maybe Mesozoic, I think is what I'm going to call it. That's like okay. the next period of the time. And um, and there's a, what's really funny is on the first Nocturnus demo back in 1987, we did a song called Nocturnus. Right. Just Nocturnus. And and that's the, the weird thing with that is the lyrics to that are actually. Basically, the fourth song of Lake of Fire standing and blood and seizing the throne. And I didn't oh, you know, shit. I didn't mean for it to happen that way. Right. But, but Neolithic. I mean, I mean, Nocturnus. Nocturnus. Um, that, that, the lyrics are that fourth is that fourth song that 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 would be next. So right. what we decided to do was take that song from 1987, and we're going to do that as a bonus track on the next record. Oh, that's great, um, dude! And so we'll have like a four song thing. It'll be Lake of Fire, Standing Blood, Seizing the Throne, Nocturnus will rise. Oh, so sick! That's, sick. Yeah, that's awesome. So those four songs will make a whole story. Right. Um, what we'll end up with four more songs on 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 the next album, so we'll have, you know, um, Andromeda Strain, uh, Droid Sector, um, Destroying the Manger, and Empire of the Sands. Mm-hmm. Then we have the four songs on Paradox, the last four songs, uh, minus the outro kind of uh, number nine. That's why we didn't really give number it a title. Right. Yeah, um, that was just like an instrumental that kind of came like two weeks before we recorded the album. We were kind of working on another song and. It's just like, well, let's just throw it at the end. then, since we don't have, you know, we almost didn't even put it on there, right. but we had it kind of down. So it's like, you know, we'll just throw it on there and see if 
you know, we'll just record it and see if it sounds good enough to throw on the album. Yeah. And it's a nine song, so you just called it number nine. Right, right. So right. It's kind of, it. Why not? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what we do is when we write songs, we always write the songs first, mm-hmm. then I write the lyrics later. Um, so we always just say, uh, this is song number one, number two, number three, until they get a title. Sure. And so that one was actually number nine. Yeah. <laughs> Leave it. Why not? Leave well enough alone. It works. Yeah. So we just, you know what, since we called it number nine, we're just going to end up calling it number nine and make it the ninth track on the, on the record. So, yeah. and that's probably what we'll do. We'll have probably nine tracks again on the next album. Cool. And then we'll have that one bonus track of Nocturnus, but we'll call it Nocturnus Will Rise. Beautiful. Sort of like I did with the Nocturnus AD, Nocturnus, Nocturnus AD. Yeah. This one will be Nocturnus, Nocturnus Will Rise. Awesome. And it kind of goes in the fact with the, all the songs are like, you know, Lake of Fire, that's three words. Standing in Blood, that's three words. Yeah. Season of Throne, three words. So yeah. this one will be Nocturnus Will Rise. There you go. So, yeah, it, it, <laughs> you know, things I never really planned out. Right. But they, it, it's weird how they just happen, like almost prophetically. Because yeah. the first song I ever wrote back in 1987 was BCAD. Okay. Oh, no shit. Okay. And I, I mean, I could have never told the fact that all that stuff would have happened with Nocturnus to where I had to change the name and add the AD to it. Right. But it kind of fits with the BCAD of being the first actual song ever written. Yeah. Uh, you know, for Nocturnus. Yeah. So it's, it's weird. A lot of weird stuff happened. And that's yeah. why the album naming it Paradox was kind of a, a, a thing hey. of, of, that kind of happened like a paradox. Yeah, it works. Now, b- before we started recording real quick, I want to I wanted to just let people know that if they don't know, they well, if they don't know, they're about to learn is that I went to a show, I believe it was March of 91 at Lemoore's in Brooklyn, and it was the, yeah. the, the Grind Crusher Tour, right? Grind Crusher Tour? Yeah. Yep. It, was, it was, I don't remember the exact order of the lineup, but you guys did not go on first. I know that. No, I, yeah, we did, actually. Um, well, the Grind Crusher Tour was only three bands. Right. No, there was sure. local. Yeah, but there was a band called Cyclone Temple. Who, Ooh, okay. There was a bit. I think there was like because Lamours was weird like that. Lamours was awesome like that. Like you would have like these national touring bands come through, and there was local bands with just a demo tape that would get the opportunity to open up for these big bands. So. Right. There was like a local band and then there was a band called Cyclone Temple who made one video that used to be on MTV. And then I think it was you guys. And then Godflesh, Napalm Death. Right. Yeah, the Grind Crusher tour was only three bands, but you're right. Most of the shows, a lot of them, you know, and I think we did almost, uh, we did 40, 40 something shows, I think on that tour. Wow. And, and almost every one of them, we had local bands playing before us mm-hmm. so so which i think is always a kind of a cool thing you know because yeah it, you know i i've jumped on some like we we actually there was a, a vader was came through here a few years ago and they had like three bands on or four bands on their on their uh on their on their uh tour and they actually were like no we want you guys to play in the middle <laughs> and That's i felt good spot bad. though yeah it's a great spot but yeah. the thing was kind of bad and i know peter pretty well but it's like you know he's like man i want you guys to play right in the middle so you know there'll be two bands and then you guys in then uh, another band then 
and but the four bands that were on the chart, I felt kind of bad about doing that because those guys were on the tour right. and we weren't. We were a right. local band. And I, I even told him, I said, I don't mind, you know, if you want us to play first, that's no problem. He's like, no, I want you guys to play at a good slot. So right. we did it. It was a fantastic show, too. But yeah, it was kind of cool that we got to play with Vader in, in our own town. Oh, yeah. So when I, when I, when I was at that show, like, and, and I, I admitted this to you before, I'm not going to sit here and blow smoke anyone, up anyone's ass. But like, I had heard of you guys, but I just wasn't familiar at the time. And plus, I was, I was like 15. You know what I mean? I was 15. And I technically wasn't supposed to be in Lemoore's. It was 16 and over. And so you guys come on. And I'm looking at my friend Tommy Mitchell, who I'm still friends with today. And I'm like, dude, I'm like, where's the singer? Like, the singer, like, the dude. Like, and I was like, that's fucking awesome and strange to me at the time. I'm like, how is the drummer also the lead singer? And I just always found it fascinating, like, to play, like, I, I am so not coordinated whatsoever. If I go behind a drum kit, I'm like an absolute spaz. I can't, I don't, I can't do that shit. And then, so I'm thinking, like, that plus singing at the same time is insane. So, right from there, I'm like, Nocturnus. Now, now, like, the next day or like a, two days later, I went out and I bought the key. So, just wanted to give a little backstory. If people didn't know who, who are watching or listening to this, that they don't realize that you are also the lead singer of the band and the drummer, which yeah, that, I can't that, think of anybody off the top of my head that does that. Well, I mean, Exciter did. And that was right. one of the things that kind of gave me the idea that I could do it because I really liked them back back then and right. when I was in Morbid Angel. And we tried out a bunch of people. People kept you know, that were singing for, for Morbid Angel, they stuff kept happening to them. And, you know, one guy went to jail and, the, you know, actually two guys went to jail back then. And, uh, and you know, so we kept ended, ending up not having a singer. And it right. got to the point where I just told Trey, I know all these lyrics. I, you know, we worked on all this music together for years, yeah. you know, since we were in high school. So I was just like, I'm going to try singing. And he's like, okay, you know, and I just, kind of because I was so familiar with the words already. And, you know, of course we came up with new songs after I started singing as well, but there was so much of it um, that we were doing back then in like 1985 that yeah. I was just, you know, I'm going to just go ahead and try to sing and see what happens. Um, yeah. So, uh, well, Burnell, he was, he was doing it a little bit, but his problem was every time he played, started to sing, he couldn't play right. at the same time. So he would have to stop playing and sing yeah. and he just didn't he he didn't get that down ever yeah. um so we couldn't have that happening at all you know on stage yeah, all the time yeah, of course not. and just it, to it, say you you said 85 now that's just a crazy time frame for the the music that you guys were creating like now of course so many people know all right there's death metal and there's all this and it's it's so commonplace now just like the genre and stuff but for 1985 for you guys to be doing what you were doing was insane. You know what I'm saying? It was weird. We didn't really think about it that way back at right. The, oh, I know, I know, I know that. But it's just like looking back, like that time frame for you guys to be doing what you were doing was like almost groundbreaking because it was the very beginning of all that stuff. Right. Well, we listened to a lot of, you know, old Venom and Merciful Fate and things like that back sure. in '85, and you know, Slayer was just coming out and getting popular and. So we kind of like, you know, even Celtic Frost 
was a hellhammer pretty much, you know, yeah. back then. And, you know, I remember hearing Hellhammer for the first time in like Oof. 1984, I think it was. And I was just was like, what the hell, man? This Dude, stuff was crazy. Yeah, crazy. You know? And so, I mean, there, you know, I, I've, I've been listening to metal for forever. And yeah. back in the seventies, I always liked the heavier rock stuff. You know, when I was growing up younger, just starting to play drums, 13, 14 years old. Yeah. So, you know, that's, it just kind of, there was a record store real close to my mom's house. And I used to ride my bicycle up there and get albums from the guy. He, it was an import record store. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, it was called Asylum Records. And the guy, uh, I still remember his name. His name was Fred, the guy that owned the thing. And I'd yep. go in there with my bike, you know, I'd go in the store and it, he'd be playing like, you know, Iron Maiden and, you know, Angel Witch and stuff like that. Nice. And he'd show me these album covers. And the cool thing was, was he would be playing it in there all the time. So I actually got, you know, a lot of people say, well, I saw the cover. And so I bought the record just because of the cover. Yeah. And which, I'm guilty of a lot of things like that. I Absolutely. Yeah, I've done that for sure. sure. <clears throat> you know, like like uh, like the first Merciful Fate EP. Boy, when right. I saw that cover, I was like, I'm buying this no matter what it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> yes. but, you know, but he used to play all this stuff, you know, lot, you know, in the in the in the in the record store. And like, so I got a lot of it I got to hear first. And I was like, okay, I'm I'm taking this home. And I would literally, you know, get the record and drive home on my bicycle with the album. That's great, man. I, I had a little turntable set up. Yeah, you know, there was no CDs, no cassettes back then. No. You had eight tracks, um, eight tracks in and vinyl. And yeah. I had a, a turntable set set up right behind my drum set in the back of my mom's house. And I used to like put the record on and just kind of like reach behind me and drop the needle on there and then just start playing, you know. Yeah. So I mean that's what I used to I had these huge, you know, stereo speakers on each side of me. Nice. And you know, that's pretty much how I learned to play the drum set. You, you know, had cool parents, man. You had fucking, you know, that shit was cool. You had a drum set. You have huge speakers. That's well, great. It was just me and my mom. And the funny thing is my mom back in the seventies, uh, when I was in like third and fourth grade, she had a band oh, and awesome. yeah, she used to sing in a band. It was, it was called like Foxy with two X's, but, okay. um, <laughs> yeah. And they just did covers and stuff played locally, but that's cool. You know, you know, Creedence Clearwater Revival and Joplin right. and things like that, you know. Yeah. So, but I used to watch them. They practiced in the back room at my mom's house where, you know, I ended up, um, you know, when I got a little older, like 15, 16, my mom let me move into the back room, which we call the Florida room. It's kind of like, you know, okay. like, a, I don't know what you guys call it up there. Maybe a was it glass, like all glass enclosed? No, no, it was a regular room, okay. uh, but it went right into the backyard. But she let me move back there and as my room. So it was big. Okay. You know, okay. so, uh, I moved out of the, the, we had a two bedroom house. So I moved out of the one bedroom and moved to the back part of the house. Yeah. So I had this really big open room where I had my drum set, a, nah, back she, room, a water bed, <laughs> nah, a water bed that's going back. See my, my sister had an apartment years ago in the, in the early nineties and you walk through the whole back of the apartment, then you walked out and it was a glass enclosed room. And we called that the Florida room. And then after that it was like a balcony. So that's why I if it was glass enclosed. Well, the, the back wall was all uh, sliding glass doors. There was like, there's still, I mean, my mom still lives there. So there's like, you know, four of them back there. So it's oh, a nice. big, big kind of big door back there. To okay. the, the back door. But yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. So they used to practice back there and I always used to sit there and watch the drummer. 
you know, I'd sit on the ground while they're practicing and just, uh, you know, to me, the drummer was kind of doing the most. Yeah. You know, I would always just sit there and watch him. So in school, when we had school band, I was just like, you know, I think I want to do drums. Sure. You know? so, uh, yeah. So that's uh, that's basically how all that got started. Nice. How, how did you wind up meeting like the Morbid Angel guys? Like, how did that all come to fruition? Because you were you were on the demo, right? Well, on the on the first demo. Right. Well, there's several what you would call well, there's a demos. couple of demos, but like Abomination yeah. of Desolation. And then isn't like a, a few of the same songs on another demo like Kingdom Come? Well, that's that was after me. That was after you. But I think maybe there was like a reworking of a song or two that you probably wrote. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah, I think one of them on that was was yeah. one we were working on there at the end. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I met Trey in high school. So, yeah, I, I went to the same high school for all three years. Oh, no when shit. I was in my last year of high school, uh, which was like 81, 82, mm-hmm. um, he was a new student. He had moved in and he was a new student. So we met like, I want to say probably like somewhere like November or December. What was um, a young uh, Trey Azikdoff like? <laughs> you know, not much different than Trey now. I mean, you know, okay. I mean, but but we got along really well because we started the, the, we had a place called The Alley. And in, in, in our high school where they actually let people smoke cigarettes and, and you right. know, joints and stuff like that. Well, they yeah. let them. Yeah, sure. them. That's where everybody smoked. Yeah. And, and so I, I I used to hang out there and, you know, I saw him and he had long hair and I had long hair. It was just like, hey, man, you know, we started talking because yeah. not many people in my high school had long hair or was was really that, you know, like into metal and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, so we started talking and we both like the same music. And he's like, oh, do you know? Uh, about you know the the Necronomicon, I'm like, yeah, I actually oh, do. You know, I have I have one too. And then he's like, really? Yeah. And then you know we started talking. He's like, yeah, I, I just got a guitar. And I'm like, oh, I play drums. You know. So it was yeah. just. You know, and we ended up putting a little band together uh, that that was called Ice, and we played the high school talent show that year. <laughs> it was all covered. Just covers. So, yeah, I, th- I think we did like Scorpions and and uh, I, it's hard to even remember what we did back then. But it was like it was yeah stuff like Scorpions and UFO. Okay, stuff like like that. We uh, had a singer and and another guitar player too and a bass player and okay. and me and Trey and but that you know after high school um, he moved to the other side of town and you know back then. The other side of town was like the other side of the world. The world, and, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> so a period we didn't see each other for a while. And and you know, then um he he talked to me one day several months later and was like, Oh, I got a band going now, but our drummer's older and you know, we we I think he, they had a drummer from Lakeland and they were all in Tampa. Okay. And that at that time he had met Dallas, the the original bass player. Okay. Um and it wasn't even called Morbid Angel. They were they had a singer named Charles, and it was called Death Watch. Okay. Huh. So um, yeah, they were like, yeah, we got a drummer. He's an older guy, and he's just not working out with what we want. You don't want to jam with us. So I said, yeah, sure. You know. So I started jamming with them again, and that was probably '83. Wow. Okay. Yeah, uh, late '83 or something. So we started jamming, and uh, then became well the singer got arrested like i said um, <laughs> and, and uh so it was just me and trey in dallas at that point okay and um so we were called heretic for a little while after death watch 
Okay. And then we found out there was a heretic out in California or something like that. Okay. So we changed. That's when Trey came up. Uh, this guy told Trey that our music sounded really morbid. And, uh, and you know, he's like, oh, you know, so he came up with the name Morbid Angel. There you go. So, yeah. So in, in 84, I believe it was, we became Morbid Angel. Sick. And then you went in and you recorded a demo, which a lot of those songs, if not all of those songs, wound up on future records, whether it was Altars of Madness or Blessed of the Sick or Covenant. A lot of right. those songs wound up getting re-redone. Yeah, well, Abominations around. of Desolation is not a demo. A lot of people say it, you know. Well, well it. I mean, like the first original, whatever it was called, but there is a version with all of those songs, whatever it was called. Was it, there was a, de- I mean, if you look up Abomination of Desolation, there's the, the, the CD, like they, they professionally put out, and then there's like the demo tape with those songs on it. Yeah, well, um, the, the, what happened was we had played a show and I think Trey and had made a demo tape right. um, for Goric Records, um, okay. which was owned by back then. This was in 1980, late 85, before, right before 86. Um, and um, so he sent a tape, he made a tape and he sent it to David Vincent, uh, who owned Goric Records. He wanted to sign us. Huh. And, and I think it, it, what it was, was like a couple live songs and a couple rehearsal songs. Okay. But yeah, it was, it was probably four or five songs. I think yeah. it was that were, um, that were, um, you know, like I said, half of it was live and half of it was just some stuff we recorded it, you know, where, we, where we were practicing at the time. Right. And, um, and then we got signed to Goric records in 86, early 86. And in April we went and recorded an actual album called abominations of desolation. And it had all, like, nine songs on it. And, uh, so sad. So, we went up to North Carolina and recorded that and that's uh that, but it never ended up getting released. So, you know, uh, things went awry. <laughs> yeah. Things and, happen, and, but we've gotten yeah, over that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's good because lately, uh, well, about a year ago, Morbid Angel played in Tampa actually last December. Huh. And I went to the show and a friend of ours, uh, that was a mutual friend of me and Trey, uh, a guy named Anthony. He, he's like, dude, I want to get you guys talking back again. I said, you know, no problem. So I, I took a Paradox CD with me and, <laughs> you know, the Morbid Angel bus was on the back and I, I, I talked to Steve a lot, you know, and, 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 you know, so it wasn't, you know, it's like I knew him and I, and, and so I went back there in the, in, behind the club and, you know, we we're talking and Trey was out there talking and, you know, Anthony kind of was like, Hey, Remember Mike? Oh, <laughs> and, shit. Now, well, yeah, how, long, how long since you, the, the little spat that you've had? What has it been? Like 30 years, man. Yeah, I mean, that was 30 years ago. But yeah, also, it's like, come know, on. We, we talked some in the 90s, too, as well, because yeah. where we used to practice, they practiced. And, and when we were all on earache, um, right. you know, they, our band practiced, Nocturnus practiced just two doors down from their warehouse. Oh, shit. So we used to see each other every day. We didn't talk a lot, but we were you know, talking to each other. And some reason this, it kind of fell apart after that. And, uh, after I was at a Nocturnus and then I didn't talk to Trey for like probably, you know, 15, 20 years. Wow. Okay. And uh, yeah, you know, and he doesn't go out a lot. So it's not, <laughs> no. not like I would see him every weekend, you know, in, in the local clubs or anything. Cause you know, it just didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, 
So, you know, we, we ended up talking that night and I gave him the paradox CD and then, you know, I gave him my phone number and, you know, like a week later I get a, a text from him and, you know, he's like, dude, I really like the CD, you know? So we started talking and we've been talking for like a year now, That's basically awesome. texting back and forth, you know? Yeah. He doesn't live in Tampa. He, he lives uh, at a town of, you know, a little way, about an hour or so probably from Tampa. Okay. But, um, so, you know, we, 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 uh, have been talking about hanging out again, just, you know, as friends and, you know, that's cool. That's cool. And it's rare for people to pick up the phone anyway. So texting is not, you know, out of the, out of the ordinary. That's good though, man. On the phone too, actually a couple of times. And, and, you know, we, we always talk about stuff that happened back in the eighties and, you know, how how things, you know, like some of the crazy stuff that we used to do and shows that we used to do, or we just literally go out on the beach with a generator and set up and start playing. Oh, no shit. That sounds like it would be fucking good times. You know, but then, you know, back in the eighties, it was like, you could do stuff like that. Yeah, there was a park, had this really big hill that's not too far from my house. And we used to, and it had all these steps that went up this hill. I mean, not a big hill because we're right. talking Tampa here. It was a man-made hill, right. but it had a pavilion up there and it had electricity. So nice. yeah. So we used to carry our equipment up there. We went there two or three times and just started playing, you know, and, and you know, for some reason we all, we usually got away with it. Yeah, yeah Morbid Angel is playing up on the fucking grassy knoll <laughs> up there. Yeah, so it was kind of fun, you know. I mean, yeah. we tried to play at this one bigger stage called Laurie Park. Uh, it's in a, a park in Tampa, and they have a really nice bandshell stage. So we set up and we started get, doing a little sound check, and the cops pulled up. Nope, that ain't going to nope, happen. You don't, not you don't happening, kids. Yeah, so, I mean, we tried to get away with playing a lot of stuff. We used to play a lot of parties and things like that in the beginning. It was, you know, we were always doing stuff like that. It was, it was kind of fun, you know, and we used to just get up there and jam. Sometimes we do, you know, 10 minute versions of the songs where we just, in the solo parts go off. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. You know, so, you know, things are kind of come around full circle sometimes. Yeah. Did you do any like extensive touring or anything with Morbid Angel back then? No, never, never. Right. Just like a few gigs here and there, local area. Right. Yeah. Wow. Shit. Yeah. So that so that after Morbid Angel, um, was the next band that you formed? Was that right? Did you go right into Nocturnus? Well, no. Um uh we had replaced the bass player on on, on Abominations was John Ortega. Um yeah. we did one show with him after we recorded the record in May, which is the the Rocky Point Beach Resort show that's outside. There's a couple of videos of that, and okay. you can see it's pretty crazy. Um yeah. But after we did that show, um, we got another bass player named Sterling Scarborough from Atlanta. And he happened to, uh, David Vincent knew him. So um, when Sterling joined the band in like June, uh, so we did one show with Sterling and before the whole situation kind of split up and things, and Sterling and I went our way and Richard and Trey went up there and joined uh, with, with, with David Vincent. Yeah. So at that point, Sterling and I, um, he had a band called Incubus. Um, yeah. and it wasn't the Incubus Serpent Temptation. It was, uh, another one that was in Atlanta. Okay. And, um, he had a, you know, at least, uh, seven or eight songs written, I think with that. Um, so he's like, and we actually had done a couple, well, the Incubus demo that we did, God died on his knees that had three songs on it. Um, two of those songs we were actually working on in Morbid Angel. Oh shit. Yeah, we were going to probably do a few more too, but 
you know, Sterling, when he joined the band, he's like, look, you know, I'll join the band, no problem. But, you know, I'd like to do some of my songs. Mm-hmm. And played them for us. We we're like, yeah, this is great stuff. You know, so we did um, Reanimators. The last show we did with Sterling on bass, uh, we actually played Reanimators Mutilations live uh, as Morbid Angel. And I was singing. Wow. So that was wow. kind of cool. But when the split up happened, um, Sterling and I, you know, he said, well, let's just, you know, redo Incubus. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, no problem with me, you know. And uh, so we got a guitar player, Gino Marino, and and uh, we recorded that demo. But uh, those two guys were drinking a lot back then. And they got into a fight one day out at the beach in front of some girls. And it was just like, I, uh, you know, Sterling and I, we had a house that we were renting that we were playing at, you know, jamming there. And uh, Gino was there most of the time. He still lived at home, but he was there a lot. And I went to work one day and everything was good. And I came home from work and Sterling's flipping out going, oh, my God, me and Gino got into a fight at the beach and the band's over and this and that. And Oh, my was, God, this girl problem's breaking up bands. And it, and it was like it, 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 we were only together for like six or seven months at this point. And there was always chaos with those two. Yeah. And, and so I was just like, you know what? I was I was like, I, I can't take this anymore. <laughs> I had two things happen in a row with bands and I'm just like, I'm out of here. I'm going to do my own thing this time. I'm going to make my own band and call it, make my own name up. And that's when I came up with Nocturnus, you know, because we released the uh, Incubus demo in 87. And, and also we released the first Nocturnus demo in 87. So it wasn't really that long. No, not at all. No. um, Yeah. a, A friend of mine, Richard Bateman, and and uh, he he was in Agent Steel. Okay. And he was touring with them, and he was on tour. And I guess there was a bunch of weird stuff going on with Agent Steel, and he quit in, in the middle of the tour. Okay. And he came back to Tampa, so he had just quit that band, and I just quit Incubus. Well, I didn't quit; it just kind of like broke up. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and I it was weird. And like I said, I went to work one day; everything was good. I came home from work, and the band was done. Right. So I'm like, okay, you know, I'm just too much drama for me in that situation. And uh, so I just went and did my own thing. And I talked to, I knew Richard Bateman. So I talked to him and at first it was just both bass and drums. And Mm. that's when we wrote BCAD. It was just bass and drums. And I was still singing, you know? So um, I was like, you know, then we found a guitar player, Vincent Crowley from Asheron. And he had just got out of his band called Entity. And he had a ton of songs from Entity. Mm-hmm. that he had written. So we kind of like combined what me and Richard w- were working on and Vince's songs from Entity and it became Nocturnus. Huh. And then Gino was still around, you know, but we weren't jamming at the time. And then, you know, we were like, well, we should get a second guitar player, you know, so we could do harmonies, more leads, stuff like that. Yeah. So that's when Gino came into the situation and it became, you know, the first four piece lineup for Nocturnus. And then we recorded the demo. And then, and then, I mean, pretty much, I mean, everything happened so fast in such a small time frame. <coughs> Excuse me. Like, how, how did you get introduced and how did you get signed to Eric? Because well, Eric was the label to be on at that time. Yeah. I mean, you know, the thing was, they were looking at everything that was going on in Florida, of course, you know, and they had signed sure. more than Angel. So, and, and, um, I guess Trey really liked it and kind of mentioned us to dig. And we had did a second demo uh, called the science of horror in 88. And we, we, um, 
it was like kind of later 88. And it was, uh, we, right before we did the demo, I wanted to have some intros on the demo. So we ended up by a couple of the guys, like our bass player, Jeff Estes and Mike Davis, they knew, um, they knew this keyboard player named Lou. Mm-hmm. So we got him to write some intros for us. And he came in uh, to the warehouse with his keyboard and we hooked it up into the PA and he played the intro, you know, through his keyboard. Yeah. And then we like clicked the sticks and went right into a song. And while we were playing, he started like playing along with us during the song. And it was like, whoa, this is actually pretty cool. Yeah, completely different man. completely different yeah. than what was really going on. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a... a almost a mistake that it happened because actually he was just writing some intros for us that we were going to use on the album. Mm-hmm. Well, on the demo, I should say. Oh, demo. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, you know, I was like, I'd like to have a couple, two of the songs I really wanted intros for. And so that he wrote a couple intros for us. And when he brought his keyboard over, we just ended up plugging it up through the PA. So it was really loud. Yeah. And, you know, and I was like, okay, you know, this sounds really cool, loud like this. And then we started playing. Yeah. I was like, let's let's play the intro and let's go into a song and see what it sounds like. So we yeah. did that, and it just kind of sounded really good. And, and it, go, like, it goes perfectly along with the whole imagery and the lyrics. It just it just it's it just it works perfectly together. Yeah, you know. So I mean, and things were changing a little bit. Like Mike Davis had he was really into you know sci-fi and Transformer cartoons and things like that. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always like the old sci-fi stuff myself. Right. You know, so, so when he's like, you know, why don't we do some, some, instead of just all satanic stuff, because that's what I was pretty much writing at the time. Of course. You know, well, that's the whole Tampa death metal vibe thing going on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. You know, so I was writing that, you know, what I like to write about. And, right. you know, Mike was like, I got some ideas, you know, let, let, let me throw some ideas at you. And, you know, just some, he would throw like some lines, four or five lines, and then I would take that and turn a whole song into it, you know, like write the rest of it and we'd arrange it. And, you know, like yeah. I would really arrange the, the lyrics always because I had to sing them. So it was easier sure. for me. Yeah, to, you got to do, do what you, that works for you, of course. Yeah. So, I mean, it, you know, that's kind of like how everything came into into that. And so we ended up since I like the horror and evil stuff and he liked the science fiction, we called it the science of horror. There you kind of it together. And, um, that demo, when we put it out, it was what was funny is we we had planned to do a demo, and uh, I was friends with John Oliva from Sabotage. Okay. And, and um, I used to see him out all the time in places, and they were doing some pre-production for their next album in a small studio, not where they were actually recording the record, but just a small studio to pre-produce a demo for the next record. Gotcha. So I had talked to John. I was like, yeah, we're getting ready to record a demo ourselves. He's like, he goes, dude, man, I got like this a whole month booked in this studio. So he goes, you know, and I'm almost done and I still got a couple of weeks left. So he goes, if you guys want to come in one night and, you know, record, you know, a demo, I'll do it for like, I think he charged us like 500 bucks. It was ridiculous. Oh, that's awesome. It's great. Yeah, so we, yeah. We went in there and recorded with John Oliva. And he ended up, you know, he liked the stuff a lot because we had keyboards too, you know, so it was kind of like, you know, old Sabotage is heavy. You know, when yeah. you look at songs, that's an amazing fucking record. Sure, without a doubt. That old stuff is fucking heavy as shit. Right. So so he was really digging what we were doing. And he even ended up, you know, like when we were doing the backup vocals, he started singing, you know, he's like, you know, we got him in there and he sang on the on, on the demo. 
Do you, you have a back? copy of that demo? Like, a, do you have like an original copy of your own? Oh, yeah, yeah, Good. for sure. No, I like to hear it that people still keep this stuff. Well, it's been re-released a few times on vinyl and everything. Right. Nuclear War Now did a really good version of it. Okay. Uh, both demos on one on one CD and vinyl and everything. And I got out a bunch of old flyers and artwork and stuff like that that I had nice. that nobody had seen before. And they made a whole thing with a booklet, you know, the album. Really? I got to go on see if I can find one of them things, man. That's awesome. I love all that. The package, the, the package thing that he made was a really limited edition. It right. had a shirt that and the vinyl and the uh, booklet. Yeah. But as far as you know, um, the vinyl and the booklet, you could get that still. But the one with the T-shirt and everything, they've right. been sold for a long I'm time. I'm sure. I'm sure. But I just, but I just dig thing. all that old vinyl with the artwork. Like I, I, I dig all that stuff. That stuff, man. I love that stuff. Yeah. So dig, dig knew about us, you know, because of, we were getting a big buzz with with Science of Horror demo. Yeah, and he was like, you know, I, you know, he so he gave us a contract, and we were really young back then, you know, of course, still, and and so we didn't know, and like you said, let, Eric was the label to be on. Sure, and it was the, you know, label for extreme kind of heavier bands back then. Absolutely. And when Dig gave us a, a a you know a contract offer, we didn't even really think twice about it, and we just signed it. Sure. So kind of like we didn't realize we were signing the rights to the songs away and stuff yeah. like that. But I don't think at that point we really had a lot of uh, bargaining power, you could say, you know. Sure, we, of course we not. A new band with, only with two demos out. Yeah. And, you know, we had been a, an established band and, you know, had, uh, you know, we're on another label and moving on to Earache. We probably could have uh, bargained with them and right. known a little bit better to get a better deal. But we just took the contract that they gave us. Yeah. And, and you know, we were just excited to be on the Of course. And how old were you at the time? You guys, you kids. Oh, yeah. You know, well, <laughs> I think I was, uh, well, I was like 26 or so. So oh, I wasn't okay. a kid. But, so you weren't a kid. <laughs> but the other guys were, you know, but I hadn't had a lot of experience with the label. You know, right. I mean, uh, you know, Morbid Angel, when we got signed in 86, that was like, I didn't, you know, I didn't know hardly. I was like, what, 20 back then. Yeah. So I didn't know anything. That was the first label experience. And uh, and after that, we really didn't get signed again, you know, until until Earache. So I hadn't had any label experience with contracts sure. or anything. And, <clears throat> and I didn't think about trademarking the name either, because when we got signed back then, we were everywhere. You know, every there was a lot of record stores back yeah. then. In the malls, everywhere there was record stores. Yeah, and of course. Stuff was in every record store being on earache. Mm -hmm. Plus, you know, I mean, it was, it was just they did a big promotion for it, you know, with the Grind Crusher tour and all that. And we did a tour in Europe with Bolt Thrower. Oh, um, that's awesome. So I never really thought about trademarking the name, you know, right. or anything like that. Um, I just figured with product out, you didn't have to. Right. I mean, like at that point, when 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 you know the key came out. Nobody was going to, no other band was going to take that name. Right. Of course you not. Know. So, but I never figured that one of the guys in the band would go behind my back and trademark the name. Unbelievable. Yeah. Which the keyboard player did that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> ah, man. But that's uh, like you were talking about before. This is where this all kind of comes around. Yeah. But when you saw us, you, you were like, 
probably like, who's singing? You know? Yeah, that's how I was. I was like, who's singing? And then I noticed I, I see you in the, behind the kid. I'm like, the drummer is the singer. Yeah, I, but um, I, had this, I had this really big drum set. It had like eight toms. It was like a it was like a cage that went around me of drums. Giant. Yeah, and, and you know, all the drums were like oversized concert toms too. So I and I'm I'm not a tall person. So sitting back there, you get all you could see was drums and a voice coming out of there. Yes. <laughs> and the guitar players never really moved around a lot. And then the keyboard player, he was stuck behind the keyboard, so he could only thrash a little bit. Yeah. And after we did the first record, Earache came to us and said, Look, you know. The things are going great, but I think if you guys had a front man, you could shoot up phenomenally better. You know, I mean, you had bands like Dream Theater were getting huge. Yes. And, um, you know, they were like, you need a front man, you know, and they said, why don't you quit playing drums and become the front man? Right. You know, and I'm like, no, I'm I'm really a drummer more than a singer. Right. You know, so I didn't want to do that. And then everybody in the band was like, well, let's get a singer. Let's get a singer. You know, and I said, well, if we do, it's got to be somebody that, you know, at least sounds similar to what we're doing now, because I didn't want to get like a singer that sang, yeah. you know, you know, because that would just would have changed everything. Of you know, course. I didn't want I didn't want to be a dream theater. Right. You know. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, well, let's get, you know, if, if we're going to do this. Well, what happened was Eric said, if you don't get a, a front man, we're going to cut your budget. We're not I was like, here comes the fucking ultimatum. Right. And we're not going to give you a video because we had talked about for the for the key. We never did a video. Right. But Headbangers Ball had happened. Yeah. And all these bands were getting on Headbangers Ball, but us. And they said, well, for thresholds, we'll give you a video. But if you have a if you don't have a front man, there's no sense in us doing a video. Right. And we're not going to give you a budget for a video unless you get a front man. Yeah. So. so they, but there's, there's a video like, on YouTube for we Lake of Fire. Well, that's not really a video. I know. Uh, I mean, it is a video, but what happened? Yeah, what happened was that, that was um we were playing on the Grind Crusher tour. Yeah. And um we were uh in California in, in Los Angeles and uh we were it was in the afternoon. We were setting up to play that night and we were uh doing our uh sound check. We're about to do a sound check. We're sitting everything. And all of a sudden this whole crew of cameras comes in there and this this magazine, video magazine was like, you know, we're going to do a special on the Grind Crusher tour. Nice. So, so they did an interview with us in the bus. And we did the interview and they're like, well, let's tape you guys doing your sound check. There you go. And then we'll tape a little bit more during the show with the crowd. And we'll put you something together for, for the interview. You know, like we'll put a song. Yeah. So if, if, you, um, if you listen to it, it's not Lake of, well, it's Lake of Fire, but it's us doing it. Um, at soundcheck. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cause I know, I know that there's a video, but not technically a video that you made for the record for MTV. It's yeah, more of a, it was for a video magazine special right. that they were doing a grindcore special. So the thing was we couldn't use that on MTV because it was their property. Right. And they used, um, it, a lot of people think it's Lake of fire from the album, but it's not, that's actually, um, our soundcheck. They just right. had really good cameras and they hooked into the soundboard and, yeah. So they ended up getting a really good sounding sound check. Yeah, from a, sounds great. Yeah, yeah, if you listen to it, you can listen to the backup sound different than the album. Right. And and so you could tell that it's not it's not from the album. Right. 
but so that's what happened there. So we never really had an official, an official video that we could put on, you know, headbangers ball for the key. Right. So they said, you know, Hey, if you want a video for, for thresholds, you know, you're going to need to get a front man. And if you want a bigger budget, you know, if you want to spend more money than we did on the key, then you need a front man. Right. Or we can slash your budget and not give you a video. Ugh. So we were kind of doing things kind of democratically in the, in the band at the, that point with voting. Man. And I was outvoted, you know, like four to one. <laughs> ah, shit. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I was like, you know, and the, you know, the, the other thing was everybody wanted to start, well, not everybody, but me and Mike always shared lyrics anyway. Right. Um, and then Lou wanted to write lyrics as well. And, mm-hmm. and so we all, you know, were contributing lyrics. And so we just ended up getting a vocalist that, that, you know, we tried out a bunch of people. And so many people just couldn't get the, the, the way things I write the right. word because, um, being a drummer, I never thought about this, but when I would write lyrics, um, I would write them to the drum beat, which is very strange. Nobody, yeah, does, nobody that. does that. Everybody writes to the melody, the guitar, you know, the melody of the song. Mm. Um, but I didn't do things that way. I wrote to the beat. Right. And it's more like that's why I always consider my vocals more like chanting than than vocals because right. it it's very um, percussive percussive you mm-hmm. can say my vocals kind of go along with the drums if you listen to it and yes and so when we were trying out singers man people were having a hard time catching the the, the weird way that I wrote the lyrics Your to the tempo way the way you yeah I get it if you don't think about it you don't hear it really so much. But then when you think of, I mean, when you know what I've just said, and then you go back and listen to the album, you're like, damn, it is right along with, with the, the rhythm yeah. more than the melody. Yeah. So, um, yeah, one guy came in, Dan Izzo, and he just kind of nailed everything. And we're like, okay, well, at least this guy's, you know, in the range of what I was doing. Yeah. And he knows, knows how to come in and he just came right in and nailed the songs. Right. So, so it was like, okay, you know, well, let's go with this and see what happens. But little did I know, at that time, the keyboard player was planning on overthrowing me and me not being the singer anymore just gave me less, less leverage in the whole situation, even though it was my band. Um, and, and, you know, you know that, so. that, that, that's just like for, for me, like as an outsider, I'll say it, this is my own, my opinion. That's like just a scumbag move. I know. I mean, I couldn't believe that he did it either. It's just a scumbag move. And, and so he went and trademarked the name back then. And, and, and when, once he got the trademark, we'd finished, uh, we did a tour with confessor for thresholds Okay. and we came back. And what's funny about all this is I, I was at the grocery store before we went to rehearsal to buy some drinks for rehearsal, uh, Gatorade or something like that back then. I don't know what it was. I don't really drink too much alcohol. So right. I was buying something and, and I I, the grocery stores used to sell magazines and some of them still do pretty much. But anyway, I saw the new metal maniacs mm-hmm. magazine. And I used to love that magazine. So I grabbed it, not even thinking about it. I just saw the new issue was out and I grabbed it. And I'm like looking through it before I bought it. And I look on the second to the last page, there's a full full page picture of me playing drums. It says Mike Browning Nocturnus. And wouldn't you know, it's at Lemoore's. Nice. <laughs> so there's go. a picture right there. So yeah, so that picture was actually taken at Lemoore's. Nice. Um, and I was like, wow, this is so cool. You know, so I bought the magazine 
fact, I think I bought two of them. <laughs> yeah, of course. You have to. And I go walking into the rehearsal room. I'm like, check this out. You know, because they used to, the last two pages before the back cover were always one full page picture of a musician and then the other full page picture of a musician. Right. So mine was on the left. And then it, the one on the right was Rob Halford on his, on his Harley. That's on stage. great. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is just crazy, you know? And, but that was, you know, taken, like I said, in 91 on the Grand Crusher Corps when I was still singing. Yes. When I come walking in there and everybody's got these, you know, our stuff's not back together and everybody's kind of sitting around with these weird faces on there. And I'm like, what's, what's going on? You know? And they're like, well, we've been talking and we think it'd be better if you, if you weren't in the band anymore, because we want to go in the, you know, more dream theater direction. And we want to, you know, get away from the satanic image and with you in the band, we'll never get away from that. (laughs) Yeah. And they said, they said, uh, well, at the time when we were recording thresholds, uh, happened that Vince Crowley, since he was still a friend of mine, he was, uh, remastering, um, his first album, Rise of the Black Mass, the Asheron album. Okay. And since he was remastering it in the B room of Morris sound, we were in the A room of Morris sound recording thresholds. You know, I ended up singing some backups for him on Rights of the Black Mask because it wasn't originally on there. So right. during, during the re- remixing and remastering at Morrisound, I, I happened to be there anyway, recording Thresholds. And so I went in there and, and he's like, you want to sing some backups? And I'm like, sure. You know, so oh. I threw some backups on there. And Vince is like, I don't really have a lineup anymore. He goes, and I'm moving back to Tampa. He goes, do you want to play, you know, a second band and play drums for Asheron? And I said, yeah, why not? You know, I knew things were going bad with Nocturnus and things weren't the way I wanted it. I wasn't able to write lyrics like I wanted to. I wasn't singing. So I said, yeah, you know, I'll do this as a second gig for sure. Yeah. And, uh, and I had told those guys in Nocturnus that I was doing that. <clears throat> so I think they kind of used that against me as well. Of course they did. Any, any excuse. They were using anything they can to make it just viable. They even told me, I said, does Eric know about this? And they were like, yeah, yeah. We told Eric that we we're going to get a different drummer and they're fine with it. Well, I found out, you know, we didn't have the internet back then. So, and Eric was in England. So, but I found out, you know, it took me a couple of days to get through and everything, but I found out they had no clue that that was, that they had fired me. Oh shit. So what happened yeah. with Eric? Did Eric fucking snap on them? Yeah. Well, well, so what happened was, um, like I said, Morbid Angel was practicing in this place. Two doors down, we were practicing. Right. And about five doors down, Vince had just got a little single place to practice with Asheron. Okay. So he happened to be down there and I was going to put together like a smaller drum set so I could go there and practice with them too, you know, a couple days a week. And I walked down there and I said, Vince, man, they just fired me. And Vince is like, what? You know, and I was like, yeah. And I said, well, things haven't been good anyway. I mean, there was Mike Davis and Lou were fighting on, on the tour, like fist fighting. And there was all kinds of sh- stuff going on that I didn't, I, you know, Every night they were all just getting totally drunk and smoking cigarettes on the tour bus. And I didn't do either. So right. it was like a nightmare for me to be in the band there at the end. Mm-hmm. You know? And uh, I just was getting up there every night and playing drums and just, okay, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But so when that happened, I told Vince, well, I guess I'm going to be an Asheron full time now. Mm-hmm. We actually walked back to the Nocturnus room and carried my drums right to his warehouse. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So it was kind of funny the day <clears throat> that I got, you know, basically fired, I guess, or overthrown from Nocturnus, I was in Asheron that afternoon. 
That's thing. awesome. Goodness. And then, I'm fuck you to them. <laughs> yeah. And I ended up doing a couple CDs with them. Nice. But then when Lyric found out that they fired me, they're like, you just fired the original founding member. You know, what's going to happen to the band now? And they're like, we need to hear some new songs. Yeah. So they went into this little place called Audio Lab and recorded two songs with, they got another drummer and they recorded the, that, that two song EP, they call it, but it was really just a demo that they recorded for Earache for the third album. Right. And Eric said, nope, I don't like it. You guys are off the label. Bye. So, <laughs> Good. Yeah, so Good scumbags. <laughs> yeah, six months of that happening, you know, to me, they they overthrew me out of the band. Good. Within six months, they were broke up completely off the label, and I was in Asheron recording another album. And so, fucking, and keyboard guy, fucking, I'm going to just call him keyboard guy. So he still owns the rights to the name Nocturnus. Well, I mean, he's let let it go. Okay. He didn't keep up on it. Um, but I, I didn't, you know, I'm not gonna, uh, what, since he did own it at one point and you can look on the trademark site in 1992, he trademarked the name in 1992. Okay. And of course, you know, I started the band in 1987 Yeah. and he wasn't even in it. Right. He didn't know until the end of 88. Right. So, um, so yeah, I think it was September of 88. He joined the band. So he wasn't even in the first lineup of the band, you know, yeah. until right before we recorded the second demo right so and so he ended up with the name but nothing else right you know? all right and later on they got back together again and i was going to redo nocturnus again in 1999 because mm-hmm. I, I i figured he, they were not going to do anything anymore right so i was like well maybe they wouldn't care so i started i got together with richard and gino two of the original guys from the first lineup yeah was vince so that was three of the four people from 1987. Sure. So I said, well, let's do Nocturnus again this way. And, and uh, I guess the news got out in Tampa mm-hmm. and I got a letter from a lawyer saying, cease and desist, cease and desist. Uh, and I found, out, um, I found out that they had gotten back together and I didn't know it either. Because, oh, yeah, so it was like, they had got back together again and, and uh, without the singer that they had on thresholds. Right. And, um, and uh, so they told me I couldn't use the name. Yeah. So I just went with After Death for at that point. Right. You know, um, so that's when I did After Death in 1999. And I did that till what, 2012 or something? 12, okay. yeah, that's, yeah. Tw- but, and you put out like five demos and like a split. You put out, you put out some stuff. Yeah, yeah, we were recording and stuff, but uh, things kept changing with that. Like, again, with Gino, things were bad, and him and Richard got into a fight, so that didn't work out. And I just kept, you know, trying to get new people in there. I finally hooked up with somebody named Damien, who's still in the band with me. Yeah, and I, I think that was around two thousand and five or six. Okay, and and he's been jamming with me for all that time, and he's still in the band, and you know, and we get along great. And, you know, it, it, it was, so he's been in out actually everybody except for the keyboard player and the bass player now that we have, but me and the two guitar players were all in after death. Right. And, nice. um, yeah. So, and then Daniel came in as a bass player. Um, and he played on the first obituary record. He played uh, on so Fully we Rock. Yep. Yep. So okay. our bass player is Daniel Tucker from the first obituary record. Sick. 
Yeah. And he's been in the band actually for quite a while now too. You know, I think he joined around 2009 or 10. Wow. 2009. Wow. So you're going on 11 years, almost 12 years now. Then. Yeah. 2008 or nine, I think it okay. was so around there. And uh, so he's been in the band that long. So yeah, we've been together for a long time. Um, the only newer person we have is, is, is Josh, the keyboard player. Okay. And he's a guy that, man, he can play anything. He can play sick blast beats on the drums. He plays right. guitar. He plays keyboards. He's one of, he's, you know, he's the youngest person in the band. I think he's 35 maybe. Okay. Um, and, and, but he's like, once he joined the band, we all, it made us all kind of step up our game. And, uh, you know, and so we kind of got him in time just as we were writing most of the songs for Paradox. Hmm. And uh, so things changed kind of quickly and, and got a lot better. And the more we've been jamming together, you know, so he's been in the band almost two years now or so, right about two okay. years. And, and uh, things just keep getting better with, with our lineup. That's you awesome, know. dude. And you, and you guys got signed to um, Profound Law mm-hmm. Records. Yeah. Yep. That happened. Where, where um, are they out of? They're out of, they're overseas. Canadian. They're what? Canada. They're Canadian. Oh, Canada. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of funny because we, we, um, we have a lot of recording. Uh, we have recording stuff. So we kind of record a lot of our practices. A lot of times we'll practice with just headphones on. Yeah. Um, uh, so, and, and because they all, everybody has Kempers now. Um, even the bass players, <laughs> we actually can plug everything into the mixing board, except, you know, and I have my drums mic'd and, and, uh, I have a warehouse, uh, not a warehouse, but a garage in my house. And we spent a month, um, fixing this place up. We ran new electricity into it, put air conditioning in it, uh, you know, did soundproofed all the walls. And, uh, so we have a really good recording spot. Nice. you know, right here in my house. And then, you know, we, we set everything up with microphones so we can either practice loud or we can throw the headphones on and all you're going to hear is the drums outside of the headphones. Oh, that's great. So yeah, we started recording that way, you know, since most of our practices we, we do now with headphones on, yeah. um, we can record e- everything we do now. That's so it's awesome. really fun for writing because we'll start writing a song and, you know, we'll have like two or three riffs going and we'll record it. Yeah, forget it, and, and it sounds that's really good. beautiful. That's that's awesome that you got that. Yeah, so when we were um, writing the songs to write an album, we hadn't got signed yet, but we had like six songs, and we recorded all of them with leads, vocals, everything. Just we mixed them really well, um, everything like that, and we uh, so we released one song only, and and uh, and put that out as a as a kind of demo kind of thing, but just one song out of the six we recorded. And dude, we had a bunch of labels, right? Like we want to sign you. We want to sign you. We want to sign you. Wow. It was really cool. I mean, we didn't send even one demo out to a label. We just put it on Facebook and on wow. YouTube. And it just like, everybody really liked what it sounded like. And um, I had ideas of what I wanted to do again, as far as, you know, I wanted a certain, I wanted a budget good enough to where we could go into a real studio, sure. you know, um, to record the album. And I wanted a one song video sure. and that was pretty much my minimum, right? you know? And so all the labels that wrote, you know, a lot of them, when I told them we need a budget, not just for, not just recording, but also for a video. Yeah. And so right there, like 95% of the labels dropped off. 
you know, well, we can't afford that. We can't afford that. You know, we're good. We could give you two or three thousand dollars for recording, but that's it. And I'm right. like, if you can only afford two or three thousand dollars, we could do that ourselves. Of course. You know, if that's what you're going to give us, two or three thousand, then how are you going to, re, re, you know, like like push our album and 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 you know, yeah, you know, sell it. You know, like yeah, you sign yeah. with a small label. You know, a lot of people's budgets are two and three thousand dollars now yeah. to record. But yeah. if that's all a label can afford, they can't do a lot of promotion because some magazine ads cost five hundred bucks. Sure, well, you know, and, and and you know, to hire a promotion company too, you know, that's a lot of money. So, oh yeah, you know, when labels started contacting us, I was like, this is what we want. Yeah. You know, and I'm not going to go down from there. I'm not just not going to do it. Right. And um. Profound lawyer was like, that all sounds good, you know, to us. So I actually talked to the label guy and we got on the phone one night. We talked for like two hours. Nice. And we had loved Nocturnus back in the day. Yeah. And so he was actually a fan of the band already. That's and always that always helps, man. That's a good foot yeah. in the door. And I gave him the ideas I had for for the for the video. And, you know, I, you know, we need, you know, a marketing you know, and, and good ads and stuff like that. And he's like, dude, I got you covered with all that stuff. And, um, uh, and what really did it is I talked to, um, the main guy in portal Okay. and they were on that label. And he told me, he goes, man, you wouldn't believe how many labels want to sign us, but they've been so good to us. Profound lore. You know, he goes, I wouldn't go on another label. Right. And you know, when you have bands that are on the label telling you this label's awesome, yeah, you don't get to hear that that much about. Labels. There's a there's a reason why they're staying there. Sure, they get treated well. That's good. Right. So I, you know, I was like, okay, you know, send us a contract, and he did, and uh, it was really a, a a nice two album contract, and it was like, you know, and, and they have been spot on with our getting, uh, you know, I'm actually getting royalties now, you know, it's great. Band, we're actually getting royalties finally. You got mailbox money coming. That's good. Yeah, earache ripped us off. I mean, the last time I got a royalty check from Earache was 1991. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and they're still repressing and selling the key. To this day, they just did a new re remaster of it. And they're still selling merchandise, Nocturnus merchandise to this day in the Earache store. And we don't see a penny from any of that stuff. Damn. So, so signing with somebody like Profound Lore, where they've been honest and they've sent us royalties already, we just received our third six-month royalty check. You know, And it's like, wow. Yeah. This label actually does what they say. Everything he promised, he did. Beautiful. And that's fucking yeah, far yeah. and few between nowadays. So, so, so now all- I know why the guy from Portal was like, we wouldn't go on, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So, and, and, you know, we're already talking about what to do on the next record as well. Yeah. And it's, it's um, you know, so he's, he's all up for doing another video and things like that. So we're going to strategically do it a little better this time. We're going to try to get the video done before the album. There you go. So, you know, before the album does. So, sure. how, much, how, much of the new, how much of the new record do you have done? Well, we got six songs completed. Nice. And um, actually, just music wise, but I always write the lyrics after okay. anyway. So, and I have, I probably have almost 20 song titles wow. in my head. And like, well, I, when I come up with an idea and a song title, uh, when, I, when I get the title, the whole idea is in my mind of what right. it's going to be about. And what I ended up doing is putting it on my phone in the notes, <laughs> you know, like Samsung notes, bam, yep. now here's another title. So, um, I've probably got 15 or 20 
song titles yeah. in my notes. So, and plus I know where I wanted to take the key story from, from, from paradox. And, uh, you know, like I said, uh, also with doing a, a song after, uh, paleolithic, you know, from Neolithic, paleolithic. And then we also decided as a bonus track to do nocturnus yeah. and just for fun, we kind of <clears throat> already went through that. <clears throat> yeah. And, um, we did Nocturnus actually in After Death. We did a version of it. So what we did was we kind of like took the old 1987 version, right? The After Death version, which actually had me and the two guitar players on it anyway, and then we added some more to it, and and um and uh and kind of redid it again. Uh-huh. And, uh, so we've already got that written with the words. Of course, uh, I'm using all the original words yeah um, from, from 87 and uh so it it's uh it's that one's already in the can too but that's going to be a bonus track that's awesome so really we, got, we only have like three more songs to write okay we'll have a full album of nine songs again that's awesome um, yeah so nine songs doing, a piece nine have nine all over the place yeah <laughs> yeah i mean in a weird way it wasn't really planned that way but i like to put out i don't want to put out a, a 35 minute record you know, right. and I don't want to put out an hour and a half record either, right. you know? So, um, I always think, you know, right about around close to an hour between like 50 minutes to an hour is a good album. You know, sure. there's a lot of content on there, um, that if it's good enough, the people will have a lot of music to listen to. Yes. I always thought that eight songs is almost just not enough. Right. Yeah. But anything like 10 can kind of too much. Could, yeah. Could be. I mean, it depends on the songs again, too. I mean, sure. If they're short songs, you know, right. like really short songs, but then you see a record, it's like 16 songs and they're all like six minutes long. It's like, dude, it's fucking. Yeah. I don't want to get stuck in that either. Right. Because our songs tend to end up being, you know, six minutes long, five, six minutes long, because a lot of them have a keyboard intro, too, which is yeah. going to take them. 30 seconds to a minute or even, you know, a little bit longer sometimes. Yeah. So, I mean, most of our songs are about five minutes music wise, but then you add the, the intros and outros or whatever we end up doing with them. Yeah. And, you know, so they end up being a little bit long. So I think nine uh, songs is like a perfect amount for us yeah. to put an album. Yeah, that works. That absolutely yeah. works. Now, can I, can, can I just throw out, I just want to throw out my sponsors real quick before I completely forget. And then we'll go right back into what we're talking about. Sure. Um, now you had mentioned before about how you used to drive, you know, ride your bicycle to the record store, and how there was record stores everywhere, all over the place. Well, there, I have a sponsor on the podcast, and it's one of the last ones in Manhattan. One of the sponsors, Generation Records. Follow them on Instagram at Generation Records. They're located at Two Ten Thompson Street here in the West Village in New York City. So far, they have survived this whole pandemic shit, and they're open. But if you can't make it to the brick-and-mortar spot, if you go to generationrecords.bigcartel.com, they have mail-order stuff. You can order stuff. They have an eBay page. They put up some really super rare stuff up there, so you can bid on stuff, whatever. But Generation Records is like one of the last guys on the block, and there's vinyl and books and T-shirts and everything, but... It's a good old school record store that I'm glad that they survived this whole shit. I was really worried about them for a little bit, but so far they seem to be doing well. So, so Generation Records. Um, are you a coffee guy, Mike? You drink coffee? 
Um, it, it's weird with me. I'm not like one of those everyday coffee drinkers. Okay. How about tea? No, I used to drink a lot of sweet tea, but I had to kind of cut that out too much sugar. <laughs> okay. uh, you know, when you get older, those things start bugging you. I um, but, you know, the weird thing with me and coffee is I like coffee, not plain and black, but you know, right. like, like with, with, uh, you know, I like a little bit of uh, coffee in my cream and sugar. Of course. Yeah, no, same here. Well, because, I have an awesome sponsor. Drink, What's that? I can, I can drink a ton of coffee. When I do drink it, I can drink two or three cups. Yeah. It has no effect on me. Yeah, no, me it's really me weird. So I, I like iced coffee, though, more than anything, I think. Okay. Well, <laughs> there's a sponsor, another sponsor. There's a reason why I asked you that. Dead Sled Coffee, D-E-A-D-S-L-E-D, coffee. Local, local, well, they're, they're in Jersey, small little independently owned co um, coffee company. But what's cool with them is that they've actually worked with bands. Like there's a, a hardcore band from Pennsylvania called Wisdom and Chains. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but they do, um, they're about to sign a contract with somebody who I can't say right now, but they also do things with like, um, like iconic horror people. They just recently... Mm -hmm signed the contract, a legit contract with Robert Englund, Freddy Krueger. And cool. yeah, and they, they're putting out, I think it's, I think they're doing it now and soon. By the time this comes out, it might be out. It's called, it's like a nightmare blend. It's probably like an espresso blend or whatever. Get it, keep you awake at night. But um, yeah, so it's, so they, they just did that, but they work with a lot of bit and it's, it's very cool. It's not just a coffee company. It's not like nose in the ass, foo-foo nonsense like they're, they're super cool um but they're a sponsor of the podcast so if you go to deadsledcoffee.com and you type in the promo code brooklyn blast then you'll get 15 percent off your order and anything over 40 dollars is free domestic shipping within the continental united states and follow them on instagram at deadsledcoffee good guys and awesome awesome coffee because you said iced coffee and they have a cold brew that's ridiculous. They call it body bags. And you oh, take no. it. Yeah, it, they come in a bag. It is like, like I think it's three three in a bag or, or six in a bag. And it's just, it's just it comes in a bag. And you just put water in a pitcher and you throw it in there. Eight hours later, you let it steep. And it's the sickest cold brew coffee ever. And I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor. It's amazing shit. So, you know, probably, probably because I live in Florida. It's, 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 you know, hard to drink hot coffee when it's already hot. Right. So why I do like the iced coffee more. <laughs> yeah. Dead sled coffee kids. And last but not least, um, new Republic printing They're uh, screen printing, embroidery, vinyl stickers, and buttons. If you go to new you can check out everything they have there. Any kind of brand t-shirt. I mean, everything from t-shirts to hoodies to, girls boy shorts to i mean everything they'll, they'll print any onto anything and the good thing about them is there's no screen fees which that's what kills people there's no screen fees there's no setup fees and if you have your order delivered to any commercial address like the store down the block if you're cool with the fucking guy or if it's your job you can it's it's free ups ground shipping so you can order 10,000 Nocturnus AD shirts, Mike, and you can get a thousand boxes delivered to wherever the studio and it doesn't cost you a dime extra. So wow, 
That's really cool. Newrepublicprinting.net and follow them on Instagram at newrepublicprinting. That's a good deal. And the, it's it and and I've been using them. I've been doing the podcast for a little over three years. I started using them in 2006. So it's not like because they're a sponsor, I'm saying this. Like everybody that the record store, the coffee spot, and the and the screen printing place, I've been using way before the podcast. So it's not like I'm just saying it because they sponsor me. So right. like legit. That's a, that's a good way to do things, business. Yeah, man. Plus there's small businesses. Like help out the little guy a little bit. If I yeah, can. Yeah. So now back to Nocturnus AD <laughs> and, uh, and, and Profound Law Records. Um, so that's awesome. They, they, they take care of you and you're looking at, well, you have the second record, six songs are pretty much done. Now yep. I, would, I, I would ask you, but nobody knows of these uncertain times. Ugh, I hate that I even have to say that about touring or playing or whatever. How are things as far as shows down in Florida? Well, we don't, I mean, as a band, we all have jobs being older. Uh, All of us have pretty decent jobs. So we've been, the lucky thing is since I have been uh, in, you know, bands like Nocturnus, Morbid Angels, stuff like that, I can, I've got some leverage to where we can pretty much do mostly festivals now. Awesome. So we don't have to, you know, like a band, you'll go out and tour and do say 15, 20 shows and you'll have, you know, a few hundred people every night right? or you could do, you know, a festival with five or 10,000 people, you know? (laughs) And, um, so luckily I've been able to secure some really good festivals since, you know, in the last few years. And we had like four or five big festivals planned for 2010. Uh, I mean, 2020. And, and, and it was like every one of them, of course, you know, Maryland death fest, brutal assault, party stands and a couple other ones, you know, like uh, uh sublime terror fest, you know, we had some really good ones planned. Um, even some of them, the plane tickets had already been bought and everything Jeez. and everything fell apart. As you know, every wow. festival canned. Um, but most of them postponed till 2021 summer. Okay. Um, so, but now I'm not sure about Maryland death fest it, they're already talking about possibly it might be 2022 now. Right. Um, they're still trying to make it happen. Um, but so far it's looking like brutal assault and party sands may happen still. Um, and uh, I'm not sure about the sublime terror that was in London. And there was a couple of smaller ones too that, you know, and things like that. So uh, everything is just so up in the air right now. Yeah. Mm. Just like what we said earlier, you don't even know what fucking tomorrow is going to bring. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, tomorrow, uh, you know, like like Maryland Death Fest, it was looking like it was going to happen in May of 2021. And now, you know, all of a sudden it's like, well, I don't know. Um, things aren't looking too good yet. Right. But then again, you know, it could turn around again and go, well, you know, everybody's starting to go back out, you know, in, in, in March or something, you know, of next year. And yeah. you never know. I mean, so... I don't know what's going to happen, um, but but we do have those. All those festivals are still on hold with us. That if they happen, we'll be on them. Sure. Uh, um, like Maryland Deathless, they had you know how many bands they have on. Oh, tons. I think there was out of their whole lineup for 2020. I think there was only two to three bands that said they couldn't do it in 2021. Wow. So they secured pretty much the whole festival. That's exactly great. the same lineup. You know, for 
for the next year yeah. and the plane tickets too, things like that. You know, the, the, uh, the airlines were actually pretty, pretty good about that and saying, yeah, we can hold the tickets. Um, and I'm, they may even be able to hold them until 2022 for us. Wow. So, you know, because right. I feel bad for the promoters that have already bought plane tickets, you know, for festivals, for the, all these bands. And, you know, it's like, that's a lot of money when you're looking. Yeah, at man, they would take a beating if they had to eat all of that. That's, that's no joke, man. Cause I know the, the, the airlines are not being very merciful with this. Right. If you had plane tickets, your shit out of luck. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, what, you know, I mean, they, I know they're taking a beating anyway, but you know, for how many years when the airlines were making billions a quarter, yeah, exactly not a year, but every quarter they were making billions. Yeah. And all of a sudden they're, they're like, Oh, poor us. You know, yeah. well, yeah, but, but for the last 30 years, you've been making a billion dollars. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in, in four months. Yeah. You know, wh yeah. where's all this money, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's true. But, I mean, you know, they should have been very, very thankful to their customers sure. and, and whoever bought plane tickets, even, whether it was just, you know, a vacation or, or five people buying it for a tour, it, they should have been very like, no, we'll give you your money back, you know, yeah. because it's not your fault. Sure. It's nobody's fault. Everybody is in the same boat. Everybody's somewhere down the line, whether, whether they're a local business who was completely shut down or i mean so many things it, it has affected literally everybody and it's nobody's fault so we're all in the same boat so everybody has to be have a little bit of leeway with each other you know what i mean it's like for them to say you know no refunds you know i mean at well, least they are holding the tickets for up to two years uh for a lot right. of people and giving them credit to all redo right. it again. Of course, they need the business, so they're going to do that. That's the smartest thing for them of to do course. at this point. Um, but uh, if if somebody had a particular thing planned that they just can't do next year, they should give them their money back because, you know, I mean, they bought those tickets in, in faith that, you know, they were going to go on a vacation or something. And Of then, course. You know, and like I said, the airline companies were making unbelievable profits for years and years and years. Yeah. It's just like an insurance company. They they'll collect insurance on your house for years and years. You have one hurricane, and they're like, "Oh, <laughs> you know, we're gonna drop you now." And yeah, you know, such bullshit. And if you do want to come back after we drop you, your coverage is gonna be five times what it was before. It's but what'd you do with all that money that I paid? You know, two thousand right. dollars a year for for ten years and never used a penny of it. Exactly. All that money. Right. You know. Yeah. So you, you you spent it on your on your. Multi-million dollar 30-second commercial during the fucking Super Bowl is what you did. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, and it's just kind of businesses were so frivolous with the money they made, a lot of them. Yeah. And now that they're hurting, they're like, oh, poor us. They're yeah, wanting these bailouts from the government's car companies too. You know, it's it's crazy. Yeah. I don't want to get into politics too much, like you said. No, we don't want to do that. Let everybody fight with each other with strangers on Facebook about all that shit. But I'll say that about it. That's, you know. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I agree a thousand percent. It's crazy. Yeah. So I, I hope that things turn around. Of course. And, you know, I mean, we're starting to see some concerts here. I, a friend of mine just uh, saw Queensryche two nights ago. Really? In, in uh, St. Petersburg here. So... They, I heard it was pretty strict. You know, they were having people were sitting six feet apart. Uh, the tickets are more expensive because they can only get like fifty percent of the people in there. Yeah. Um, 
you know, things like that. And, you know, they're checking everybody's temperature, of course, and masks and everything. So no matter what happens, it's going to be a weird situation. It's going to be very weird. Very yeah. Weird. It's, it's, I, I, you know, I, it's going to be hard for people to, you know, be at a, a outside festival, you know, in 90 degree weather wearing a mask. I, you know, I, I just can't you're gonna have a lot of, you know, and what's happening too. Um, well, people don't realize this is even if say the country opens their borders back up in Europe and, and the promoters wants to put the best on. Now I'm hearing that a lot of the insurance companies, the big insurance companies that insure these big fests don't want to write any policies in 2021. Right. So even if the promoters want to do the fest in 2021, the country says you can do a fest in 2021. If they can't get insurance for say a 10,000 person festival, it's just not going to happen. Right. You know, so that's another thing that that's going on that a lot of people don't realize is that insurance companies that insure these festivals are not wanting to write policies. Right. Again, like I just like I said, like with your house, you'll pay for 10 years and one incident happens and they want to drop you. Yeah. So um, it's the same thing is starting to happen with these festivals. And it it really sucks that 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 could stop a whole festival from happening is is an insurance company. Absolutely. And no, pe- no people think about that. I mean, none of the I never fans, thought about that, and that's that's, no. that's a valid I mean, point. I've played a lot of festivals, and I didn't even think about it until somebody told me this is what's really going on, yeah. you know, for 2021. I mean, you know, the promoters are saying, you know, what's going to happen if we can't get insurance? We can't have the festival even if we want to do it. Right. So it's a, that's another hurdle besides all the other hurdles is, is that right there, and that's a big hurdle. Yeah. And nobody, no, nobody has probably ever mentioned that to hardly anybody, you know, First time I'm even thinking about that or, or heard of that. And it's, and it's a hundred percent valid. Yeah. And when you have a big festival, that's two or three days, they have to have a really big insurance policy to legally put on that festival. Absolutely. Um, and you know, so if, if those companies don't want to write those policies, then it's just not going to happen, you know? They say they want to write policies in 2022, but they're they're actually not wanting to write policies in 2021. Unbelievable. So I don't know if that's going to, like I said, you never know. Maybe my know. things Let's, might you know, change. Try, try to remain optimistic. It's, it's a yeah, little difficult me, nowadays, but. You know, I want to do these things as much as anybody else. Of course, you know, man. I, I love to be able to play these kind of shows, you know. And I want to go to shows. I want to go to a show. I want to see a show. I want to hang out. I want to just have fun. It's right. crazy. You know, and a lot of people are just scared to even go to a show if one happens. Right. I'm not scared. I want to go. I don't care. I, I just, no, me either. I, I, I've, I've gone out. Yeah. We have a couple local clubs that are actually having shows now all the time. Yeah. Uh, every weekend. And, um, you know, I've gone to several of them. But, you know, I do have to say you go there and half the people aren't wearing their mask. Everybody wants to, hey, Mike, go and shake your hand. And it's like, yeah. uh, uh. uh yeah. What do I do? What do I do? You know, it's like, I, I don't know. I've been yeah. you know, pretty lucky so far with Me everything. Cause it, so I don't want to say too much about it, but it's it, people there. You got people that are deathly scared to go out. Yeah. And then you got people that don't even care at all. Yeah. And they'll get totally drunk and slobber all over you trying to talk to you. <laughs> right. you know? yeah. It's like, Oh man, come on! There's got to be an in between here. There's got to be some sort of a some sort of a level, e- even playing field there, somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I hate that anyway. When you got somebody 
slobbering drunk coming up to you in the bar. It's so annoying regardless. They're talking to you and it's like, oh, you know, it's like yeah. stand back at least, you know, five minutes. This is before COVID. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, that, that, that's the guy that you have to just make up an excuse. Like you have to go take a leak just in order to get away from them. You know? But that's the guy that's always in the bar too. Of course. There's <laughs> always that guy. <laughs> and, and every time you see him, they got to come up to you and like, you know, get right in your face and talk to you. It's, it's everybody everybody knows that guy. Just everyone <laughs> that guy. Yeah. And they're there and they're back out. Of and course. They're there. Yeah, they're so, out right now. That guy yeah, is exactly. out right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. uh, well, hopefully things turn out, man, and sooner rather than later. And you'll go out and you'll play a fucking awesome fucking kick-ass festival and you'll have a new record out. Do you have any idea when the newest one's going to come out? Do you have any time frame at all? Yeah, it's, 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 I mean, we're getting close. Right. You know, so it's, it's not going to be a real long time. It'll definitely be next year. Awesome. Um, no doubt. But it's, uh, the good thing is, you know, it gave us time to write. and Because if yeah. we had played a lot of these festivals, we may not be where we are right now with sure. everything. Because we have to stop writing mode and go into playing mode and yeah. put a set together. Because we uh, we try being that we have all the Nocturnus songs and Nocturnus AD songs to choose from. We haven't even toured for Paradox yet. Wow. Yeah. Wow, I mean, yeah. So, yeah. That's wow. That's crazy. I mean, we haven't really done a, a real Paradox type of thing. You know, we did right. a couple shows after the album came out, but we haven't really done a, an actual you know, big thing where we do several shows for the, for the it album. It might wind up being a two-in-one deal. Yeah, you know, that's a good possibility. You never so, know. You know, we thought about that. It's like, damn, man, we, we haven't even got a chance to go out and play a lot of these songs, these yeah. new songs on Paradox. Got to be and real you know, careful how you choose your set list now, too, if it's two records in one on a tour. I know, yeah, plus the old Nocturna stuff. People, I mean, it's like, you know, when you see Ozzy Osbourne, playing as Ozzy, he always does some Black Sabbath at the end of the set. Of course. So we always are going to have to do, you know, in the set somewhere, probably some Nocturnus stuff. Yeah. And especially since it does tie into Paradox quite a bit. Right. You know, and the key. Um, that's why we've kind of just kept it to the key and not really anything from Thresholds. Right. One, because I I didn't sing on the record. Of so course. I don't really want to do something that I didn't do. Yeah. Um, so everything I'm doing... From the key, I you know I wrote lyrics. I I sang on that record. I played on the record. So, yeah. um, and the same like like we do a couple Morbid Angel songs always for encores. No and, shit. Um, yeah, just uh, but we do them like the Abominations of Desolation. Right. We've only done like three of them, and um, you know like Chapel of Ghouls and Angel of right. Disease, and right. um, we've done the Gate and Demon Seed uh, a couple of times, but they never really redid Demon Seed anyway. Right. Um, so that's why we ended up doing that one. That's uh, cool. <clears throat> so we really were only going to do Chapel of Ghouls, but you know we got tired of that being the only one that we did. Yeah. <laughs> so we were like, okay, well, let's do Angel of Disease. So yeah. we kind of threw that one in instead of Chapel, or sometimes if we have enough time, we'll do both of them. Right. And, you know, and then it's like, well, you know, we got maybe a little bit extra time, so <laughs> let's you know throw in Demon Seed because nobody's ever redone that since then. Right. Since so since 1986 so we throw and that's only like a two and a half minute song yeah. so we'll throw that in there sometimes and and you know things like that but that's so cool. um, that's cool to switch it up like that that's good that's that's good shit yeah we try to almost every show we do we try to change the set list yeah. like 
I mean, even though it's a lot of the same songs, we'll, we'll change it around. Change it around, of course. But once we put out another album, we could actually go out there and do a 12-song set of just the key stuff. True. The story. Yeah. The four songs off of the key, the each. Of the paradox, and four songs off the next record, and that would be the whole set would be one long story, like like like, you know, yeah. a concept. That's you great. Know? Or we could do four songs uh, in a row of Lake of Fire, Standing in Blood, Seizing the Throne, and and Nocturnus Will Rise. We could do that as yeah. one long piece, you know. So we got a lot of options to what we can do, um, you know, the way things are being written. Yeah. So, and, and the weird thing is, you know, who could have planned back in 1990 when we did the key? Yeah, that I was gonna be able to do this like all the 30 years later, almost 33 you know? years I mean, later. You know, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's almost 34. Yeah, well, that's with the you know, morbid angel. But like, if you say 1991, you know, all right, from uh, 90. Okay, you want to go from 90? All right, that's fine. But still, still three, three decades, three solid decades. No, awesome. crazy to think it's been that long. Dude, I, I think and speak about the way time has gone constantly. It's insane. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, you know, it's it's, it's a very strange thing that it happened the way it did. Yeah. Um, and nobody could have said that it was planned that way because, you, you know, so many things yeah. happened that I wasn't not ever would have thought would have happened. Right. And, uh, and somehow it still came around full circle. <laughs> yeah. It's a fucking beautiful thing, man. That's yeah. awesome, dude. That's great. Well, this has been fucking awesome. This is awesome, yeah, dude. dude. Um, I, I just, I just want to say before, because I'm not going to hold you hostage too much longer, but I will say when, when this goes up, like the, the video itself will go on YouTube and I, I'll run it on the, the Brooklyn Blast Furnace group page on Facebook. I, I post it there. But then okay. the audio, which goes everywhere, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, every podcast app, the audio goes up and I put my intro on the, on the front of it. And I have to ask you to pick a Nocturnus or a Nocturnus AD song for me to add to the end of this episode. Your well, choice. Um, I have to say, since, you know, that the, we didn't get much promotion touring or any doing shows with Paradox, I'd probably want to do something off that. Okay. And, you know, um, so which one? I have I have an idea, but it's your episode, so <laughs> oh gosh. I don't know. It's it's so weird. Uh <laughs> I don't know. I, I there's so it's it's weird with the songs because uh, you know, maybe Aeon of the Ancient Ones would probably be the one that that I would I would say is probably my favorite on the album. Okay. Then that one it is. So, um, we'll, we'll just jot it down so I don't forget. There you go. Awesome, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's to me, that's my, my favorite song on the album. Um, okay, I don't know if I have a favorite. That's a great song. Your opening track, Se Season the Throne, is incredible. Like that one, yeah, cool. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, like I said, like I said, like this, this record is, is it's almost just like a continuation of the key, like the way it sounds and everything. It's, 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 it's awesome. Dude. So yeah, the new songs are really weird too. It's like what we've been doing <clears throat> and we did this with most of paradox as well is, is like I said, I'd been playing with Damien for quite a long time. So he did a lot of the writing right. um, as far as the guitar parts, the riffs. And so when we, 
approached writing Paradox, I said, let's do this. Me and the two guitar players are going to come in here and you're going to put down a rhythm and we're going to learn it. And then you're going to put down a rhythm and we're going to learn it. And somehow we're going to link those two rhythms. And then I'm going to go back to you. And almost every song on Paradox was written that way to where we went back and forth to the two guitar players and all right, your turn. <laughs> what, what do you got? You know, and yeah. we learned, and we like, right. Some of them became little bridge parts. Some of them became full rhythms to the songs, you know? And um, so, and we're still doing that with, with the new album as well. So the six songs that we have written uh, was again, written like the way paradox was. So it's going to have a lot of the same kind of feel to it. That's great. And of course we, we want to use Jared again. Um, so I think that's going to happen. Uh, hopefully all the schedules will to you know, turn out the way things do, but he, you know, he did a lot of touring too, um, with, with he's toured, you know, he's, he's a great live sound guy as well as a fantastic engineer in the studio. Mm-hmm. And he's a good producer. He knows, you know, Jarrett's been a friend of mine, uh, Jarrett Pritchard who, who produced and, and engineered the album paradox. Um, he's been a friend of mine since the nineties okay. in Tampa and he, he grew up, you know, well, he's, he's been in Tampa for, he was in Tampa for a long time and he had a band called Eulogy. I don't know if you know them or not. I'm not really good. Yeah. They were, you know, back in the day, they, they were more local, you know, but they were a really good death metal band. Okay. So I think they, they're doing some, some new stuff, you know, now I think they're going to redo the band again, uh, possibly. Let's see if there's new Eulogy, but you'll, you'd like it. It's really good death metal. Fantastic. And he's an amazing guitar player. So being that he was around the old days back in the nineties, he saw Nocturnus several times. Of course. He was at the shows. He he knew how to capture what we needed. Right. And and he had just he's got a studio in Orlando and he had just bought a 24 track tape machine. Oh shit. In California from a studio in California. So when he told me he bought that tape machine, I was like, Oh my God, yeah. you know, I want to do the drums on 24 track reel to reel. And so, yeah, we did it that way. And so the drums are all 24 track reel to reel on Paradox. And that's why it has that sound to it. Yeah. And, you know, so, um, yeah, you know, we did real tape. Of course, you know, it ends up, it ends up in Pro Tools after that. Of course, you know, it has to uh, most, I don't think you'll find too many people that's going to do their whole album on 24 track reel to reel and mix it on the reel to reel and not use pro tools at all i mean you almost have to with with encoding and stuff like that the way they make cds and you know mp3s now you almost have to at one point get it into pro tools or uh, some kind of program yeah after you record it um you know on reel to reel but not too many bands use the reels anymore Mm -hmm. and when he bought that old school man that's old school none of these kids do that shit nowadays yeah, and that was a big thing why I said we got to have a good budget because I want to do this the way I want to do this, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sure, we could have just went Pro Tools and probably just done it ourselves. And yeah. uh, we can make a really good sounding record ourselves without even entering a studio with everything that we have. Because right. uh, like I said, that one demo song we put out, man, there was a bunch of labels that wanted to sign us from that. And that was, and that was recorded in your backyard. Right. You know, but I didn't want to do that. I wanted to actually go somewhere, um, especially when it was somewhere that had a two track, you know, I mean, two inch reel to reel 24 track machine. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. (laughs) The timing just, you know, when we were ready to record, he had just bought that like like maybe two months before we were ready. 
to, to do a deal for recording. And, and so everything just fell into place for that, for being, being able to record on that, on that two inch reel to reel. And, uh, you know, and he's got a really nice, and the studio was in Orlando. So it's only like an hour and a half drive from our houses. Okay. So we were able to go over the weekends and record over time. So we didn't have to like push everything into like one or two weeks either. You know, we, we, you know, as, and he was touring with bands like 1349 and Goat Whore. So we would literally record some of the album, you know, like we do all the drum tracks and bass tracks and some rhythm guitars. And then we'd have to stop for a couple of weeks. And, you know, and then uh, we had to take a, almost a month and a half break or so um, around the end of the year uh, because before we mixed. Yeah. Because he had a big long tour with Goat Whore and stuff. So, um, you know, he would go out on the road and we'd hang out and just like, uh, but it gave us time to listen to what we did. Yeah. And say, okay, now, you know, let's bring this up. Let's do this and let's do this. And so it was kind of cool. So, you know, it was able for him to go in there and, and uh, get everything we wanted. Because sometimes if you only got like a week or two to record, yeah. you know, like the, key, the key was recorded in a week. Oh, no shit. Yeah, and uh, Thresholds was recorded in 10 days. Wow. So, you know, it's like, you know, you're stuck with what you got at the end of that week. So we, we were, yeah, you know, we were, we had the ability to actually, oh, let's change this or do this. And so Paradox was really a, a thing that happened over time, the recording part, and we got to do exactly what we wanted with it. And, you know, that's why like, it came out awesome. It came out great. Yeah. I mean, everything happened the way it was supposed to. So, yeah. you know, and hopefully uh, we'll keep going with the next one and do, be able to do the same kind of situation. I'm confident. I think I think you guys will be just fine. I, th- I think it'll be awesome. And I'm looking forward yeah. to it. What's what's the working title for the newest record? I don't know yet. I'm not okay. really sure. I'm, uh, what I've noticed and that this is not on purpose, of course, but none of the albums that I've done actually have a song title for the title. True. There's no title track. You're right. Right. So um, I want to make sure I keep that going. Right. Now that it's came clear to itself, <laughs> yeah. you know, like I said, it wasn't done on purpose. Like the key and thresholds weren't done on purpose that way. Right. It just happened that way. And, and so, you know, so Paradox, there's no song called Paradox. Right. And it was kind of like I started figuring that out. And I said, eh, we should probably do that again. Why not? And now for the next one, it's like, well, we're definitely going to do that again. You know, sure. so, uh, you know, I want to keep with these same kind of things. That way it, it just keeps tying in together every album. Awesome, dude. This is great. This so, is awesome. Now, you, know, you said uh, you, you don't run, the, there's, there's a Nocturnus AD Instagram page. Right. Right. And the bass player runs. No, our guitar player, Damien. Guitar player, my fault. Okay. But I think it's, I think it's at Nocturnus AD. I think it's just as simple as that that people should follow it and keep up with the band and um, merch. Do you guys have like merch or anything else? You, you don't have a personal Instagram. You're just on Facebook, right? Right. Yeah. I, I've never, I didn't know too much about Instagram. Right. It's a great promotional tool. Yeah. I, and that's what the label told us too. So it's they really said promotional you really need to get an Instagram. So I said, well, you know, I, I do all the Facebook stuff. Right. And, and it's, it's hard for me to just keep up with that sometimes because I work a full-time job. I got a daughter and, uh, you know, I'm like a single dad. So it's like, you know, it's, it's hard for me to do all these things myself. Yeah. So I said, I'll take care of the Facebook page, but I need some help 
you know, with, with, and our, our guitar player, Damien, he's like really good with computers and stuff. That's what he does. He's an IT guy for a living. Nice. And uh, so, you know, he knew he had an Instagram and all that already. And I said, well, I don't even want to get involved with Instagram right. because I'm not trying to promote myself. And I like Facebook having my own Facebook page because right. I can put all kinds of stuff on there. Right. Of course. We had the band one too, but I have mine, my own, which I just put all kinds of stuff. Of course. And, and um, so, and that keeps me busy, like I said. So yeah. I, I didn't want to get into Instagram as well. Okay. I never got a Twitter, right. you know. I didn't see. I'm on all that stuff, but it's just basically just for podcast stuff. That's it. I yeah, mean, I mean, I have, pers- I have my personal Facebook page, but then most of the time it's the podcast group, and I have my Instagram. I have a few different Instagram pages, but one of them is for. I don't even have a personal Instagram, but there's a couple other Instagram pages that I run, but it's mostly just the the Brooklyn Blast Furnace, and yeah, I have I Twitter, and it's just and it's just the podcast, just on Twitter. That's it. Other than that, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, if I ever did my own podcast or something like that, maybe one day. Yeah. Um, you know, if I ever did something, I'd like to do something weird, like just talk about occult and paranormal stuff and there you go. sci-fi and just all kinds of bullshit stuff like that. Why you know, that you about, you know, I think it'd be kind of fun to do it, uh, something like that. One one of these days, maybe I'll I do like that. Doing this shit. It's easy, especially now with Zoom and this and that. It's easy. You can record it on you can record it on your phone. It's it is it's so easy nowadays. It's just consistency. Yeah. You just got to be consistent with it. And people, yeah, see, and that's my problem is I got so much going on already. It's like right. time wise. I didn't even want an Instagram page because right. or Twitter because I'm like I, I man, I don't need something to take more time into my day. I, I get my, it. Yeah. If I have my work, my daughter, my band, and and Facebook, of that's course. pretty much takes up most of my time. And I, if I, I, I do something yeah. else. If I do Instagram, then that's going to take away from the other three things or yeah. four things that I do. And, you know, when the label said you really need an Instagram, I didn't even know what it was hardly. I mean, I've heard of it. Yeah. And but I was like, really, it's it's a better promotional tool than Facebook. And they're like, yeah. Yeah. So I said, well, we'll get one for sure. But yeah. I, I, I can't put that much more time into that and and this and that and this and the other. Yeah. Uh, so you can um, play handles it. Good, though. It's, it's good yeah. to have a band one, at least. That's good shit. Yeah. Yeah. So they wanted us to get one. So I said, well, we'll definitely get one. Yeah. Um, so, but I'll have one of the guys in the band do it. And, and, you know, so I think uh, he was the best, I think savviest person to, to be able to do that, you know, awesome. Whatever so, works. So you kids out there follow at Nocturnus AD and I think you're full, but type in Mike Browning and see if you're able to get in. <laughs> well, I keep my personal page. I keep yeah. that um, public mm-hmm. anyway. So you can follow it. Um, right. Yeah, I'm always, uh, you know, since Facebook has that 5,000 limit. Yeah. And I have like a thousand friend requests that I can't do anything with. Right. You know, so, I mean, there's like a thousand people sitting there that sent me a friend request. Yeah. Uh, it's always like at 900 and something. And it's like, I'm like, man, I, I, I don't know what to do, you know, because it's like, I feel bad that these people are sending me friend requests, but I can't do anything about it. Right. So I've decided to keep the page public. And, you know, you can, of course, still follow it. Yeah. Um, so it, it's almost the same. It's really not that it's much. It's the same shit. If, if, you, if you follow my page, then you're going to get all the updates. Yeah, you'll get everything that you would if you were my friend on there, yeah. you know. So I don't know why they even have a limit. Um, I guess because of their algorithms, the way they do things. Um, it's going to have some kind of limit to it. Yeah. But then again, you can have a public page 
and I do have one, but I don't even have much time to keep up. I need to start keeping up. I do have an official Mike Browning one too, but I, I haven't even touched that page in months. Right. So, I mean, it's hard, you know, like just keeping up with my regular Mike yeah, Browning, page, you yeah. know, it, it takes up most of my time. Sure. So, you know, I, I'll probably have to start working on that a little bit more too to keep that one up. I, I know in your, I need in your to spare time if you if you find it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you know, so but at least I keep up on my Facebook page. Cool. And, and I keep it public so anybody can go to it if they want. It's just Mike Browning six six six. That's it. Sounds sounds like a plan. So you kids follow him if you can't become his Facebook friend. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't you know? Like I said, it's not. Like on purpose that I don't friend people. Right. You're full, and that's it. Yeah. You know they get it. You're five thousand. There's nothing you could do. Yeah. Awesome. So someday I need to do a cleaning of like people that haven't talked to me in two or three years or whatever. Yeah. You might and, even go through and there's there's people that have deactivated their accounts, but it still counts as a friend, but they're not active anymore. You can do all that shit. Yeah, some uh, I'll do that a little bit every once in a while, but it just takes so much time on Facebook where they have it. Yeah, yeah to sit there and go through each one. Yeah, and look. it's annoying. It's annoying. Yeah. There's, so much, there's so much more productive things you could be doing. If somebody deactivates their page, they should drop off your friends list and, and let you add somebody else. Yeah. Um, that, that should be their penalty for doing that. There you go. Suffering <laughs> you know? consequences. Right, exactly. So, I mean, you know, sometimes I'll go through it a little bit and, oh, you have one friend in common and then this guy wants to be, send me a friend request and we have 400 friends in common. It's like, well, yeah. That's a no-brainer that I should switch. You know, I've never talked to this person. We have yeah. one friend in common, and this guy wants to send me a friend request, and we have 400 friends in common. So yeah. it's like, you know, sometimes I'll drop 10 or 20 people off there, but the, even just doing 20 or 30 people takes so long yeah. sometimes to go through and see who's what. And, yeah, and I got it's it. Weird. I do go, I'm, even though I have 5,000 people, it's when I start looking at that friends list of mine, it's amazing how many people I actually do know. Yeah, yeah. You know, sure. like, well, I know this person. I can't drop this person. Yeah, I know this person. I can't drop this person. You know, and I'm like going through like a thousand people, and it's like, damn, I know all these people. Yeah, because uh, yeah. I've met people over the years, and I talk to you know, I'm I'm pretty easy to talk to. Sure. You know, one of those musicians that you know runs from the stage to the tour bus, and you don't. Yeah, see him. yeah, yeah. You know that you know, I, I'm pretty public with everything. So, yeah. uh, you know. I don't know. I guess if I was in a super huge band, it'd be kind of hard to deal with that right. the way I do things. But I like listen, to you're, things. Da- you're down to earth and it's all good, man. You just, you know, yeah. you, you don't have rock star ego fantasies. That's good shit. No, not at all. You're like a real person. <laughs> I like real people. Yeah, when people come up to me, like, you know, oh, you know, you're you i can't believe you were in this band it's like dude i'm i'm, I'm a metalhead okay yeah, i'm a metalhead i'm just i'm just a guy man i'm just a guy yeah. i appreciate i appreciate you like my bands and i don't care if we did get super popular you know it, it i don't think it, i i'm so set in my ways I, I would probably never change i mean i'm 56 now so yeah i can't believe that i'm getting close to 60 years old and still doing yeah i don't even want, i don't even want to get into that i don't even want to start talking about that i'm 45 i'm approaching the fifth step I don't even want to hear about it. <laughs> well, wait till you get wait till you get past fifty five, and then you're like, I don't oh even my, want to think about that. I don't even I want to go, go to, there. I can go to Denny's and get the senior citizens breakfast. I don't even want to hear and talk about any of that shit. It's depressing. <laughs> this it's was weird. a really good time. I don't want to get depressed at the end. 
No, I know. It's just, it's so strange to think that I'm still doing this. I, I would have, when I was a kid, you know, and, and Morbid Angel and Nocturnus in the early days, there's no way you could have told me when I was, you know, almost 60 years old that I'd be still playing death metal and singing and putting right. out an album. But, and here I am, you know, I'm yeah. still doing it. And it's just like, it's, it makes me feel like the things that I did were, some of them feel like they were still yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good thing. So, it's yeah, it's a great strange. thing. It's a really very good strange. thing. You know, I mean, I hate when people give up on their bands just because, oh, they don't sell, you know, yeah. they put out a demo and, you know, they didn't get signed or they didn't get sell a thousand of them or 2,000 or whatever, you know, uh, yeah, they didn't reach the goal. Do it, do it. I mean, listen, do it. Like, I, I do this. I don't make any money off of this. I have a Patreon account. If you want to join Patreon, it's like $5 or $10. For a month, it'll always be free regardless. But you know, you get merch and shit if you want. It's patreon.com slash the Brooklyn Blast Furnace if you want. But I don't make any money doing this. It's fun. And I had no expectations. I honestly didn't think that I would do more than 10 episodes of this. Now I'm doing it for over three years. I'm approaching 200 episodes. I I enjoy it. And I have no expectations. If something big happens... Whatever that might even be, that's cool. And if not, that's cool too, man. Right. It's a good way to look at things and, and that's it. You know, expect too much from things, then you never no. get disappointed, you know? No. Not at all. Well, good shit. Well, I'm not gonna take up any more of your time, but I appreciate your time. And uh this was awesome, dude. I never thought I'd be I'd be sitting here talking with the guy that I had to find who was singing behind the drum kit back in nineteen ninety one. Well, like I said, you never know what's going to happen the next day, you know? Exactly. <laughs> the perfect example. So the, uh, things always surprise you. And then it's like, well, you know, some things were meant to happen certain ways, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's the way I look at things. Me too, man. Well, I will definitely keep in touch with you. Um, this is a good, I mean, we're on podcast time. Obviously people are listening to this now, but this is going to drop in a few weeks from now because you never know what's going to happen. I like to remain consistent. So I always have several episodes lined up. And then, you know, in case I can't do it or whatever, and something happens, I still remain consistent with my every Friday at noon, an episode comes out. So no. but I will definitely, de- I have your phone number now. I have we're friends on Facebook. I'll definitely keep you posted. I'll be tagging the Instagram page and all that stuff. So, oh yeah, once, once you uh, get your date set for for when it's coming out, then yeah. um, I'll, I'll be posting it too for you. So sounds awesome to me, man. Yeah, and you know I'll be back on yeah. hopefully you know, when we get the next album recorded. But when and, you, when, you, when you drop the next record, we do a part two. Yeah, for sure. Let's do 100%. it. Hundred percent. Yeah, there's always and stuff to talk about. <laughs> always stuff. Well, we're gonna end well, not this video, but the audio version with. Aeon of the Ancient Ones off of the 2019 Nocturnus AD record, Paradox. That's what we're closing with. And uh, that's it. And that's all. Mike Browning, thank you so much, my man. Thank you, Jimmy. It's been awesome. Absolutely. We'll definitely be in touch. Stay safe. All right. You too. Later, brother.